Welcome to this week's episode of the Comeback Girl podcast. My guest this week is Michelle Gema, a seasoned negotiation expert who runs her own consultancy, Equality Pays. In this chat, which was most graciously recorded with Michelle in her 38th week of pregnancy, we chatted about why women statistically negotiate less than men when it comes to pay. Michelle shares hugely useful tips that will stop us from missing the benefits that our male colleagues seem to secure so much more easily. She tells us how to ask for our share without getting emotional or freezing. If you're coming back from a career break and want to ensure you're getting as close to market value as possible, or if you're looking for a review in your current situation, I hope it's useful stuff. I went to university, I did social sciences, and then I did a human rights master's because I always, I kind of always have this affinity with people who are either marginalized or discriminated against, or I'm always like cheering for the underdog. Mm. And I always have this kind of burning sense of injustice if people are, you know, stereotyped or dismissed because of the way that they look or where they're from or whatever. So that's what I did. And then I was like, okay, well, I've got this shiny new masters that not many people have and what am I going to do with it and I was very fortunate because the Equality and Human Rights Commission opened their doors for the first time in Manchester and I managed to get a job with them so I started off on the helpline advising employers and educational establishments and then I ended up on the policy team doing work on equal pay I'd never heard of it before (laughs) and it was a real eye-opener to all of the thorny issues that come with equal pay which you know you'll obviously know about and then I went off to have my first baby and then voluntary redundancy came up and I had been thinking about going freelance for a while so I decided to set up my own business and I did the thing that everyone always tells you not to do which is to listen to other people's advice about starting your own business And so even though all my skills were in gender equality, I didn't feel confident enough to just set myself up as a one woman band doing that. So I started off doing all things HR and everyone said, well, if you just do HR stuff, they'll eventually come to you with all of their issues around equal pay, maternity, discrimination, etc. And I was thoroughly miserable (laughs) doing that for about 18 months because it didn't really pan out. Um... And then I found myself in a situation kind of two years had gone by and I had to go back to work. And it was such a struggle for me to find something that was, that would utilize my skills that I could do part time. So I did what a lot of women did would take any job full time and then hope that I'd be able to negotiate a flexible working schedule, which I was fortunate to be able to do. And then I went back to my old employer. I went back to the Equality and Human Rights Commission on their Working Forward program, which is it's a program for employers on how to minimise discrimination against pregnant women, women on maternity leave, and you know parents in the workplace. And that's that's been a real roller coaster, but it's, it's been brilliant working on such a forward-thinking project, having my own business, etc. I have come up against so many money issues so many of my own 
personal money blocks that I didn't realize that I had. Um, so things like finding it difficult just to figure out how to price my services, finding it difficult to pitch for work, constantly discounting um, the cost of my services. Yeah, <laughs> you've been there. You've obviously been there before. And, and then I realized that actually after talking to so many other women that had their own businesses that I wasn't the only one. And it's a bit of, a, bit of an epidemic, I guess, in a sense. And essentially, we as girls and as women, we're socialized not to be too ambitious when it comes to money and it comes to asking for the things that you want. And, and I think we, we carry that with us. So it's been a fascinating journey for me in terms of exploring those things for myself. But then I got to a point where I thought, well, I've got all these expertise to do with equal pay and the gender pay gap and, you know, women in the workplace. But I kind of realized actually, the stuff to do with money and the confidence around talking about money, I think does play a part. And so that's why I'm kind of here now working with women so that they can have a fulfilling career, but also have a fulfilling life outside of work and not feel that they're constantly trading one off for the other. What else do you think typically when you're talking to women, typically what do you think are the things that come up? I know I've got money blocks and I know I'm not alone because as you say, I'm a recruiter. So I'm negotiating, I'm seeing women negotiate, I'm negotiating on their behalf. I'm advocating for them. And you, you tend to do a bit more work on behalf of the women than you do for the men. And there's, there's no delta in their ability at all. I think we're also not just in terms of money, but we're also, we're socialized to think about other people's feelings and that things like, um, you know, being kind is more important than being honest. And I also think that, um, and it's not intentional and it's something that I look out for myself, but are we focusing on girls being pretty and um, those types of things over trying to do something new and helping them to learn to embrace failure? Because what I find is a lot of women will say, well, this is what I want, but I don't want to ask for it because, and they'll list all the objections. And some of them are around, well, what their boss will think of them for asking. Mm. And I almost have to tell people, it's not really any of your business what they think. Mm. For girls, I think with the way that we're socialized, that is a currency of high value that what people will think of us. Mm. And so it's the fear of asking, the fear of freezing up and not knowing you know, the skills and how to negotiate. But a big one is, well, what will people think of me if, you know, if word got out that I'd asked for an extra, I don't know, seven grand. In the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter what somebody thinks of you. But we, we place so much store on it because that's the way that we've been raised. So that they're, they're the main reasons, I would say. Could you explain for us in simple terms what the difference is between the gender pay gap that we've all been talking about and equal pay? Yeah, this gets conflated a lot and it took me a while to <laughs> to understand it as well. But equal pay is essentially around the difference in pay between um, a man and a woman who are doing the same or similar work. Mm -hmm. And there is legislation to say that that's unlawful. And so we have the Equal Pay Act that explains you know, what equal pay looks like and why it's unlawful. And so if you think that you're being paid less than what we call a male comparator for doing the same or very similar work, then potentially you could have an equal pay claim. But the gender pay gap is different and the gender pay gap looks at 
where women are placed within the workplace or within an industry in comparison to men. So, for example, if you work in a firm and all of the senior leadership are male, but middle management and then everyone below is predominantly female, then you're going to have a huge gender pay gap because obviously they're going to be paid less in comparison to their to their male counterparts, but it's based on where they are in the workplace. And then when you delve deeper into what the factors are, it all comes down to the way that the business is structured, the way that they do their recruitment, the way that they do promotion, retention, etc. And do you, obviously we've had equal pay legislation for a long time. Yeah. (laughs) I think the awareness about the gender pay gap, it's got sufficient attention now for change to happen. Can you, in your position and having having worked in the the public sector and really advocating for this, can you see the gender pay gap being closed in the next generation? Well, I, I don't know if it will ever be closed, but I think the climate that we're in has the potential to really shake things up. I mean, I was talking to a few colleagues about this a few days ago, and we were saying that we would have given anything to have this kind of publicity on the gender pay gap six, seven years ago, before we could barely get employers to acknowledge our existence and talk to us about this type of work. Mm. And now we're in a position where there's something about it in the paper pretty much every day. You know, when the reporting regulations started, obviously, in April, there was obviously a build-up to that. But what I started to see was a lot of articles from women who were just outraged at finally seeing the numbers because that was always the crux of the issue. But there was such secrecy around it that it was very difficult for women to prove that their firm had a gender pay gap because prior to the regulations, they didn't have to report anything. And it's very difficult to talk about money in the workplace. And some employers would actively discourage it. And there may be a detriment if you were starting to ask people how much you've been paid and what you've been paid for, etc. But now that the data's there and it's public knowledge and it's going to be public knowledge for at least three years on the government website and it has to be on the firm's website too, I was starting to see people just being understandably really, really angry and feeling really used and hurt that they were not valued as much as their male co-workers and seeing the impact that, you know, being denied flexible working or being denied promotions was, was having on them. And in the age of Me Too and the age of people coming forward and talking about their experiences of discrimination or harassment, we are in a place where we can, you know, encourage employers to make those changes with their business practices that will have an effect on closing the gap. But in real terms, not just, you know, lip service, but, you know, making an actual difference in women's working lives and men's working lives too. Am I right in thinking you had to be a, a certain size of business to report, didn't you? Yeah, so you had to have um, 250 employees or more. So if you're a startup you don't have to share any of the information. You don't, but there are calls for the numbers to be lowered. It's, it's like with everything. If, you, if you're a business with integrity and you want the best talent and you want to keep the best talent, then it's in your best interest to know what's going on in your workplace and understanding what your gender pay gap is part of that. Yeah. I know in my industry, um, 
you can just go onto a glass door and get anecdotal evidence very quickly of what yeah. people are paid. So actually, you know, e even if it's not being reported on a, a public platform, there's still sufficient hearsay anecdotal evidence of what's going on even in the smaller businesses. This has hit, you know, su such a high awareness in society. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I have heard of recruiters kind of headhunting people and saying, oh, have you seen that, you know, your competitors, their gender pay gap is only X. Have you, have you considered, you know, moving over to them? So, mm. so, you know, people are not safe in the sense that all oh, the numbers are out and um, interest will die down because it won't, because they have to report every, every April and people will be looking, well, it was X amount last year and it hasn't budged or it's gotten worse. Why is that? So it's all about that accountability I think. Definitely. So I was telling you my story earlier Michelle about how I was out of work for six years and then I went back into the workforce. Mm. Should somebody like me be accepting potentially less than market value because they're being out of work? No. It's my short answer. <laughs> and I see I see this kind of come up in Facebook groups as well. And I understand why you may think, oh, I stepped out of the workplace for six years. And you may think that your skills are rusty and that, you know, it always feels like technology has moved at such a fast pace. But the thing that I always say to people is that those skills haven't gone forever there's a good chance that you've used them in a very different capacity to what you've been doing before, mm. especially if you've got young children to look after. Your negotiation skills go way, <laughs> way, way up. Your thinking and your feet skills go way, way up. And so I would say, you know, the answer to that is no. You may need to brush up and say technical skills. You know, if social media wasn't something that was very prevalent when you went off and now it's everywhere, then it does make sense to either do a refresher course or to get in touch with people in the industry now and to kind of you know pick their brains and find out well what type of technical skills would I need to step back into this role etc but I also think it's useful not to discount the skills that you have gained I know a lot of people will you know do voluntary work within a charity or you know will be a finance officer for a school or you know or something mm. there's a good chance that you've been utilizing the skills that you've learned in your corporate life just in a different setting and so it's about reapplying those skills in a way that an employer would understand that many of us will broaden our horizons once we have children because they kind of have to be you pick up new skills or you use your existing skills in a different way but it's all about the packaging of it and I think once you can get your head around that you do have skills that are of value you just need to learn how to market them properly then you can get into that space of I can ask for market rates and maybe even more and here are the reasons why this is what I've been doing while I've been off. And is that part of your consultancy work? Is it just female clients that you have? Yes, at the moment. And I, and I think it's probably because of the, the language that I'm using and the, you know, the groups that I'm in that it just kind of falls that way that a lot of women feel a kind of connection to the way that I'm talking and the things I'm talking about. That's not to say that if, you know, if I had some men that wanted help with this, that's not to say that I wouldn't help them too, because you can't broad brush and say that all oh, men are better at negotiating than women because some men might be just as terrified. Very often what happens is someone will say, oh, I've seen this role and I want to go for it. 
and I think I'm going to ask for this, this and this because I think that's what they'll go for. And I'm like, no, it's not about just focusing on what they will go for. What do you actually want? What would, what would make that worth it? What would make it easier for you? What would work for your family? I often say to people, have you sat down and talked with your partner about what you're going to ask for? And so many of them are like, well, what do you mean? And I'll say, well, for flexible working to work or for this role to work, it needs to work at home as well. So there's a conversation to have with your partner as to what it is that you're going to be asking for as well. And so a lot of the work is around kind of mindset. How will it work for you in practice? If you could have the moon on a stick, what would you ask for? And then I do work on the actual negotiation in terms of the phrases to say, putting together your slide deck of achievements, working on the confidence piece. So it's not just about turning up to the interview and doing well and then negotiating afterwards. There's a lot of pre-work that goes with it. You need to think long and hard about what it is you actually need and to put the preparation work in so that everybody knows, okay, well, if I'm going to go for this job, this is what I'm going to ask for. And if I get these things, this is what I need for my family to support me in making it happen, which I think it was forget about that bit as well. Yeah, my first podcast guest was the actress Claire Goose and her husband is a, a cameraman. He can do production and, he's, and they've yeah. got two small children. So the choices have to be dealt with at home. Who's going to go out? Who's going to look after the drop-offs and pickups? You know, they, they both have to be cool with... Yeah what the other is negotiating and I think that that's why they make it work how often is it that that money is our most important component in the negotiation the money piece does come into it but I always say you know you should ask for a package a suite of things Mm. so you know you can ask for more money and you may get what you ask for you may get less than what you've asked for But if you've got a number of things that you are happy to play with, it makes it much easier to find um, that middle ground. But it's really funny because what tends to happen is women will say things like, I'm not motivated by money. I'm not really motivated by money. And I always say to them, but do you have a mortgage to pay? Oh, yeah. Do you have nursery fees to pay? Yeah. And I said, well, then you are motivated by money. Mm -hmm. And so what I try to do is I say to them, okay, well, let's take it a step back. If you had the extra, I don't know, 10 grand that you were asking for what would you do with it Mm. and they list all these fantastical things that they would do with it and a lot of it is for the benefit of their family so I'd say well there's so there's nothing wrong with being motivated by wanting an extra 10,000 pounds is there because look how many people in your family are going to benefit look how you're going to benefit but again it's that mindset piece of saying to them it's okay if more money is what you want it's okay to admit it and it's okay to ask for it. But, yeah. you know, as my dad always used to say, you don't ask, you don't get. And nobody knows that you want it. I mean, how standard is it for women to be asking for bonus or more holiday or potentially a salary review if they start at, you know, a lower base salary than they would, than would be ideal for them? I think what it is is that people don't realise how much is up for grabs when you talk about negotiation people always think it's money and obviously that is a massive piece of it the next thing people think about is you know some kind of change to your working pattern 
But people don't realise that, you know, depending on what your organisation is, you could ask for extra holidays, you could ask for extra childcare days, you could ask for remote working, bonus, mobile phone, company car. You could ask for a bigger career development budget if your workplace does that. Um, You could ask for shares, pensions. There are lots of things that you could ask for. We're limited in what we think is on offer. A job will offer you what they think is acceptable for them to offer you. It's fine to think outside the box. It might, it might be that, you know, you're in a time in your life where actually you want to contribute more to your pension more than anything else. And so you could ask for a bigger pension contribution as opposed to more money. Or, you know, and somebody might want flexible working now. Or somebody might say, well, there's a course that I really want to do and it'll be beneficial for me and it'll be beneficial for you in this way. Would you be willing to pay for it or could I have extra days off? And it's always funny when somebody negotiates something that's a little bit out of the box and everyone's like, well, I didn't know you could ask for that. It's there for the taking, but in order for you to take it, you need to know what would be really good for me, where I am with my family situation, financial situation, career situation. What would help for some people? It is working one day a week from home. For someone else, it will be those extra pension contributions. But it's all about knowing that kind of anything is up for grabs, but you have to decide, well, what what are you going to reach for? What are you going to ask for? Yeah. And what I think is really important is that you have, you're crystal clear on what your two or three really important levers are that you must achieve. You must have those components in your offer. What about if you are looking at a new opportunity? So it's a company you don't know that well mm-hmm. and you're getting quite close to the end of the process. You think they're probably going to offer you. At what point do you start to find out what benefits and levers might be on offer for a negotiation? Well, I usually advise to kind of enter negotiations once you've been offered the job. Because it's much easier to negotiate then rather than prior to knowing if they want to have you or not, <laughs> is what I would say. Um, and, but I think, you know, once you've been offered, offered the post, you know, that's when you say, I, you know, I'm obviously really, you know, excited to be working with you. And I just have, you know, a few extra questions around the, the whole salary package. And I'd like to, to have a look at that to, to, you know, just to be sure that this is the right move for me and and I think some people are worried about that because they might think oh it looks like you're not really committing but the reality is is that you're dotting your i's and you're crossing your t's and you're making sure that you know everything that you should know and if they are an organization that are worth working for they shouldn't bat an eyelid at being asked as to what the suite of benefits are or they should be used to being able to give that out to to people that they've made firm offers to and if there's any hesitancy, I would be a bit concerned because, yeah, because I know people who have taken jobs and think it's the best thing ever. And then they start and then they realise there's things that they assumed would be there and isn't. And there's nothing worse than feeling that you've made a mistake. And all because you didn't ask, because you didn't think to ask, we didn't have the confidence to ask. Mm. I would say that that's the time. And, you know, and you can, you can do a bit of detective hunting with you know talking to headhunters or 
industry peers you mentioned Glassdoor LinkedIn is great for that kind of stuff there are ways to find out information <laughs> we're in the age of information there are there are ways to find out and if you you know haven't got the full picture then be honest and say you know I'm grateful for the opportunity and I really want to take it but I'd just like to know what your package is just to make sure that we both you know are very very clear because they're in a position where they're clear we really want this person but you don't want to be in a position of I know 90% about this firm, but I don't know everything. I completely agree. I think your currency is at its highest when you're offered. So that's when you start negotiating. Yeah. You know, from, from my perspective as an in-house person, there's no way I want to go back to the drawing board once I've found somebody. I want the, the candidate we've identified to be the person that we close and we bring in. So yeah. I want to do everything I can to make that person happy and I want them to be clear on what we offer. And I would expect them to do that due diligence. I'm exactly. Great that they ask. They, they need to. They need to show that they're professional and considered and they just ask very cogent questions about the, the benefits package. That, that is more than fair. That's just a commercial transaction. And I also think it's worth having a checklist to keep yourself honest and make sure you go through everything. The horror stories that you read about mat leave and what some companies try and get away with, it's worth being clear, if I get this, this and this, I will accept the role. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, you might be in a fortunate position where you've got an offer from somewhere else and you might be able to say, well, I've also got an offer from somewhere else. This is what they're offering me. Are you able to match that? Is there anything that you can do to make it easier for me to say yes to? You know, once you're in that position, it's important to get the things that you need. because It's much easier to do that rather than trying to come and negotiate something later on down the line because you've discovered they don't have something that's very important to you. Yeah. Flexibility is so important. But we know it's a big contributor to the pay gap. We know that Mm -hmm. certainly in the city of London, it's a huge problem with women being afraid to improve the money component of their role because they're trying to forego the flexibility they have in in an employer. And so they stay where they are. Yes. feel like they're not getting a good deal. How do you see that changing? I think with the gender pay gap reporting, we'll start to see flexibility in more senior roles because it's not that women don't want to do those roles. I think it's more of a case of they look at how the roles are structured and they see that they will never see their families if they were to take those roles. And they don't see anybody championing having some degree of flexibility. So I think firms will start to put two and two together in terms of the number of women that's stuck in kind of middle management that have the potential to go further. But I also think that it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game in terms of you can either negotiate for flexibility or you can negotiate for more money. They both have to work. And actually, it's not just an issue just for women because there'll be a lot of men who are in senior positions who who want that flexibility too, or won't be putting themselves forward because they know that they can't have that flexibility. So whilst, yes, we're looking at it from a gender lens, there is definitely an issue for men as well. Either they feel that if they take those roles, they have to take them on full time and never see their families, or they will do what a lot of women do, which is just settle where they are because they have flexibility, but not necessarily the money that they want. And so, like I said before, I think it's an interesting time to see, well, how are employers 
going to tackle that. But one of the things I always say to women, I say to them, you know, look, you might just have to be prepared to be a trailblazer. And just because you don't see anyone like you, you know, juggling the kind of family aspect as well as, you know, running senior teams doesn't mean that it can't be done but somebody needs to be the trailblazer and it and it might be you and yes it it can be a lonely place but we have to step up and and in some ways we probably have to force our employers to to change their attitudes towards flexible workers and and a lot of that is around the idea of presenteeism around the idea of you can only be functional if you're in the office all the time we know that that's nonsense and especially if you have outside work responsibilities you know you and I know that we can squeeze a day's work into three hours if we have to <laughs> so if we can do that at home we can do that at work but it's about trailblazing and, it, and it's also about re-educating senior leadership around trusting people to do their job I think there's a real lack of trust that if you can't see what they're doing all of the time they mustn't be working which isn't true and so it's about moving from presenteeism to actual productivity. Well, what is the productivity of the team that you're leading? And quite often when you have flexible workers and part-time workers, they're just as productive as full-time workers. I mean, I was reading a study the other day saying that um, we all work sort of seven to eight hour days, but we're probably only productive for only two and a half hours of the, of the day. <laughs> People have such different biorhythms you pick up any coaching book or time management book and they say if self-employed work out when your most productive time is is it the morning or the afternoon and get the really critical task done at that point and it will be different for different people so yeah. if we then heard everybody into an office and say right it's nine o'clock get at it that person doesn't start flowing till five o'clock in the afternoon i see them in my office <laughs> yes. saying to that person because it's coming at three and yeah. work till nine and just nail it you'd have the most loyal employee and the productivity would be sky high. So anyway, we don't want to rant about flexibility, but um, (laughs) your insights are so valuable. I'd love to know what your favorite testimony is of a client that you've really got through a tricky negotiation. What did that look like? My favorite one is a friend of mine who had had a really bad experience with her previous employer to do with maternity discrimination hits for great things and then she found out that she was being massively underpaid compared to her male counterparts and she was now being a freelancer and she started asking me about you know negotiating the prices and stuff and what I noticed was is that she was basing her negotiation on what she needed to bring into the house Mm -hmm. the house ticking over so I made a few um, suggestions and think, well, that's all well and good. It's good that you know what your baseline is, but you need to ask for more because otherwise you're just relying on this one client to pay, essentially pay your bills, but you're a freelancer. Instead of asking for an amount, you can ask for a percentage because she had the full breakdown of what they would be charging another client for her time, essentially. So I was saying, well, the better way to do it would be to get a percentage because you'll, you'll get more that way. And they accepted what she'd asked for it was something like 25% more than what she was going to ask for. And what I really like about it is that I was looking at her thinking she had it all together, high-flying woman. She, you know, she wouldn't have any qualms to want money. Mm. And I realised, oh, we all do that. We all have a kind of professional face. But the reality is, is that many of us have the same 
fears. And so what she said in her testimony was that I had given her the confidence to reimagine what her worth was. And I was like, I gave you, I was like, you've got that in spades already, but clearly she didn't feel that she did. Yeah, that, that was a bit, that was a bit of validation. I was like, okay, I'm on the right track here. I'm on the right track. (laughs) And it's so interesting as well that she needed that, you know, we all need each other. We are interdependent. Once we recognize the strengths in each other and we just surrender that part of our ourselves and let somebody else help us, we are so much better off. So I love it when we share our gifts. Oh yeah, totally. And we need to build each other up. And that's why I always say it's it's fine to ask for help. You know, you can Google stuff and you can ask friends and that's great. But some sometimes you just you need that. You either need that professional help or sometimes you just need a tribe of good women to help you help you see yourself the way that other people see you. Otherwise you will drown in your own mind monkeys telling you that you're not worth whatever it is that you're going for. It's so true. We often assume that somebody's fine unless they tell us. Yes. So it's yes. just really just get vulnerable and just say, I can't do this. And there'll be somebody who will reframe it for you, as you say, or, or, or see you as you actually are, as opposed yeah. to what your inner critic is telling you. Michelle, yeah. how can we find you? I mean, I, I think that for the next, for the foreseeable future, you're going to be very, very busy because you're very <laughs> doing this for me at 38 weeks pregnant. <laughs> when do you think you're going to surface again and have these amazing services available? Well, I have tried to be proactive and I have actually taken my own advice about asking for help when I need it. Mm-hmm. And I've actually hired a VA <laughs> who is going to keep things ticking over for me. So. My website is equalitypays.co.uk. I do have one or two masterclasses that people can download. And so that way you have access to some of my expertise, even though I'm not physically available. But in terms of physically resurfacing from having second baby, it's probably going to be early 2019. So sort of February, March time when I'll start to do the one-to-one work again I'm on LinkedIn and I do have a newsletter that will be coming out as well by the power of my VA <laughs> so I will still be around even though I'll have a little babe attached to me all of the time wonderful so LinkedIn equalitypays.co.uk and, the, and people can obtain the newsletter by subscribing to the website yes yeah You've been an absolute star. Thank you for for sharing all of your expertise with us. I'm looking forward to seeing seeing what happens when you get relaunched in 2019. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. The Comeback Girl podcast and the blog at www.comebackgirl.com are entirely free resources. They're offered to encourage you in your return to work after a career break. My name's Laura Izard, and as a career returner myself and deeply experienced recruiter, I'm all in for bringing other women back to work after career breaks. In the podcast, I share real-life stories of comeback journeys, practical advice on finding fulfilling work, and help with the all-important mindset and confidence required. I'd love you to leave a review today on iTunes to help spread the word. Women's careers today can feature pivots, rest, complete about turns and still be hugely impactful and filled with purpose. 
I'm a firm believer that your best work can be ahead after a career break. Follow Comeback Girl along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and the blog as you come back better than before.